to the Sermon on the Mount. If you have your Bibles this morning, join me today in Matthew chapter 7. Taking a break for the last couple of weeks, really appreciative to uh, Mark Olson and Dennis Fay for filling in the last couple of weeks. They did an admirable, awesome, wonderful job. Really grateful to have men like that I can hand the ministry on to. Uh, but today we're going to jump back into the Sermon on the Mount. We will finish it by the end of next month. Okay, so we will finish it up this summer, just a, a warning. Uh, so yes, we will finish it up and we will kick off something new in the, in the month of September. But what I'm going to do today is something just, uh, I felt like I didn't finish what I wanted to say three weeks ago. Not that anybody remembers, but I feel like I have to go back to the portion of scripture we were working on. And I just want to kind of wrap it up today uh, with some thoughts. So what we're doing today is we're finishing up this section called the imperatives before we move on to the response. Any good message has a powerful call of response. The same thing is true of Jesus' message called the Sermon on the Mount. We're really going to look at the response section beginning next week, though we'll highlight it this week. So what I'd like to do today is kind of drop back under this question of mission, the question of our mission as followers of Jesus Christ, and look again at Matthew 7, verses 1 through 12. But I want to do it from a little different angle this time. And I want to do it from the angle of talking about becoming fluent, becoming fluent, conversive in the message of the gospel. So we're going to look at this section uh, from that perspective. Now, many of us are fluent in many different things. How many would say they're fluent in English? Okay, handful of us, okay, yeah. Uh, by the way, fluent simply means that you can hold a conversation, make a point, and somebody understands what you're, what you're talking about. Okay, I, I dare say that's most of us here. So most of us are fluent in English, but most of us are also very fluent in our jobs. You know, every job has its own language. It has its own unique uh, sayings. And a, a fair number of folks, because of where we're positioned near D.C., work for the government or in some connection to the government as a government contractor or maybe even part of the military. Now, the unique thing about the government is, of course, it has its own vernacular. It has its own expressions. And those expressions are, are what? What do we call those expressions? Acronyms. Yes, there's an entire world of acronyms that is unique to the government. I, I came across this guy. Uh, his name is Mr. Bloom. He is an MC for corporate gatherings. And he had a corporate gathering of the Siemens group, their healthcare group. And I think he really nailed this whole idea of acronyms. Tell me if you can't identify. No, I want to be able to speak your language. So I learn all the, uh, you know, the buzzwords, the jargon, the lingo, get the technical terms down, get the vernacular, the lexicon, uh, those, uh, those acronyms that you, uh, you love so much. Acronyms is like every company's own secret language. Once you learn that, you, you're in, you know? And I don't know if you know this, but acronyms is actually an acronym. It is. It stands for A, Confusing Rendition of Novel Yet Meaningless Symbols. <laughs> and then you got all those like TLAs, a lot of those three-letter acronyms, all the Zs. You got like ZBM, ZS. M, Z, S, D, uh, you got F, D, A, P, O, A, you got P, S, E, K, A, E, E, H, R, R, O, I, M, R, I, C, S, I, C, S, I, Miami, C, S, I, New York, uh, 
then, then you got uh, EBC, uh, IVD, Run DMC, <laughs> Notorious B.I.G., DMX, Eminem, Ice Cube, Ice T, TLC, LL, Cool J, J Lo, J Z, R Kelly, P Diddy, T Pain, G Diddy, G Diddy. That's uh, Greg Sorensen's hip hop name when he goes out clubbing. <laughs> Yo, we got G Diddy in the house. <laughs> Siemens Healthcare represent for shizzle, my rizzle. Then you got your ZVP, your RFP, your PMP, your OPP, you know me. <laughs> At HQ, you got your CEO, your CFO, your COO, your CIO, your EIEIO. <laughs> then you got SWT, ELT, DCL, PNL, R&D, S&M. Um, <clears throat> At sales and marketing, do you guys? Oh, I, I see what you did there. So once I found out this gig was a go, I knew I'd have to brush up on my Siemens Healthcare ABCs ASAP. And FYI, and this is no BS, these acronyms really tested my IQ. I mean, the process itself almost drove me to AA. <laughs> See, I was relying a little bit too much on the JMB and not giving myself enough TLC. And then on top of that, my BP, my blood pressure dropped below 60. Yeah, no, it gave us all a scare. That's when they rushed me to the ICU of the ER, they gave me an EKG, hooked me up to an IV, and then pumped 20 cc's of good old-fashioned vitamin B to B. Of course, I did this all in the QT, I didn't want to worry the powers that be, but safe to say I was A-OK, -okay. I was ready for the Apex Awards any day. Go team! You know it's true. No matter what your profession may be, there is a language that is connected to your profession. How many of you heard some of the words that you use at work that people at work only know? Yeah, that's it's kind of how that works. So there is a work uh, way of being fluent. So we have to have a special language so that we can communicate at work. Uh, we also tend to be very fluent in our play. Have you ever noticed that? You know, if you have an ATV, a motorcycle, a boat, a car, or whatever it may be that you have, there's an entire vocabulary that goes around whatever that special thing is that you have, the, the toy that you enjoy, you know? And, and you can talk the language with other people who have a toy like you've got. And, and so we do that around our playthings. You know, if you, if you collect guns, you've got the language. If you, if you do uh, rod and reel, you've got the language. If you do fishing, you've got the language. If you do bow hunting, you've got the language. Everything in life has its own set of vernacular, its own fluency, its own ability to be conversant. Well, as followers of Jesus Christ, one area that we are told that we are to be conversant in, fluent in, is in this thing called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul said that we have been given this message of reconciliation and we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ here to give that good news to those who need to hear it. And so as a child of God, it is vital that we become fluent, conversant in this thing called the gospel. And so what I want to do in just the next few minutes is I want to drop back and look at uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. And we're going to understand from what Jesus has to say there, indeed our mission, but I want to talk to you about how to be fluent in the gospel, 
both verbally or with our lips, but also with our lives. Because a lot of our communication happens through body language, through how we look at and treat and our attitude towards other people. So if you have a pen and you want to jot some notes because you need to become more fluent in this vital topic, I want you to do that in these next few moments. Because quite frankly, there is nothing more important, more eternally significant than becoming fluent in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, this is what good old C.S. Lewis had to say. The gospel, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Think about that. Your play, your work will come and go, but the soul is eternal. Every single person that's ever been conceived on planet Earth has an eternal destiny. There was a time when you were not, but there never will be a time where you will not be. And we're told in the scriptures that we are all headed for one of two destinies. There's only two. One is the destiny of being in the presence of the living God and beholding his glory and reveling in his love and serving him with a glorified body forever. That's called heaven. That's one destiny that awaits those on the other side of life. And the other destiny is exactly as opposite and horrific as the other is great and amazing. The other destiny is a place of wrath, a place of judgment, a, taste, a place of eternal retribution on those who are outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ and outside of a relationship with the living God. And that place is referred to by Jesus of all people. He spoke more of this place than anyone else in the Bible. He referred to it as Gehenna, the valley of Hinnom, the place of the dump where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. It was called hell. Those are the two options. That's it, period. Eternal bliss with God or eternal judgment apart from him. Every single person has one of those two destinies that lie in their future. And the only way that they are going to take, be taken off the path from death apart from God is through hearing the good news the gospel of Jesus Christ, and thus trusting Christ. Apart from that, the default location is hell. It is our responsibility to speak into the world God has put around us of people this truth. So let's talk about being fluent in the gospel. Fluent in the gospel. Here we go. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. Judge not. That's a command. Stop judging people. Stop condemning people. Stop lambasting people. Stop being rude and abrupt and disrespectful to people. That you won't be judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. So in this first section, what Jesus is really putting his finger on when it comes to the gospel is this. As followers of his, we need to be gracious. Be gracious. You see, um, <laughs> Jesus came to convey a message. And he ultimately died to make that message effective. And the Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse 17 that Jesus Christ did not come to condemn the world, but he came that the world might be saved through him. That was his mission. That was his goal. And as followers of his, that's our mission and our goal. 
Our goal is not to pronounce condemnation. People are already condemned. Our goal is to tell them that they can be forgiven, that there is this wonderful thing called grace, the unearned, the undeserved, the unworkable gift of God's forgiveness found in the person of Jesus Christ. We are to be the most gracious and generous and loving and forgiving people on the face of the earth because we are following in Christ's steps, offering them the message that they need to hear. You know, um, when we forget or when we treat people with disrespect, I, I think we forget, number one, the pit of sin from which I was dug. You know, when we look down on other people, we fail to remember what the grace of God has rescued us from. And so it's so important that we keep that in mind. But secondly, when we, when we speak down about other people, are rude to people, condemn people, not only do we forget the pit of sin that I was dug from, but we also forget that they're dead in relationship to God and that they are in, uh, unable to ultimately do God's will in their lives. They can't do good. They can't do right, ultimately, because they're dead in relationship to God. So how dare we come along and chide them for being dead? That doesn't make any sense. And then I think we can also forget that they are under the domination and slavery of Satan, and they are fulfilling his desires in their lives. If we keep a biblical framework, understanding the grace of God, I think it helps us to understand better how we are to react and interact with the people around us. This is a gospel lifestyle. It is a lifestyle of being generous and gracious, forgiving and loving with other people because we have received such from God in Christ. Does that make sense? Look at me and go like this if that makes sense. We really need to get that kind of sewn into our hearts and in our minds because we scare too many people away. And apart from the message of the gospel of grace, they're condemned forever. So we need to kind of sow this in our heart of hearts. We need to stop reaching out and banging people. We've got to stop condemning people. We've got to stop even being rude to people, showing disrespect to people because they need Jesus. They need Christ. And that's on us. We are given the ministry of reconciliation. We are his ambassadors. He uses us. And so if we're going to be fluent in the gospel, then we need to have a gospel life, a life of graciousness, a life of generosity, a life of forgiveness, and realizing that people need the Lord. Now, we also need to be able to speak the gospel to people. Nobody's ever been saved by anybody's life. We're not even saved by Jesus' life. We're saved by his death and resurrection. And nobody's saved by you being a good person. Ultimately, we have to communicate to them this thing called the message of the gospel. And so I want to give you uh, what I consider to be the, the most simple, most clear explanation and expression uh, of the gospel that, that I have heard. And it comes from a man by the name of uh, Thabiti, Thabiti, as he's sitting up on a platform with several other well-known pastors. Hear what he has to say, and then we'll talk briefly about it. I'll also share more with you about it. Okay, so to look at that. Um, the gospel is literally good news. It's, a, it's an announcement. It's a, it's, a, it's a herald. It's a joyful message, a happy message um, sent from the courts of heaven uh, to us subjects below. 
Um, one way of summarizing it, a popular way of summarizing it is in four categories. God, man, Christ, response. Some things that are announced in this news about God, about man, about Jesus, and about the response we all must make to this news. It's not like news on a six o'clock television show. This is news that demands something of us. And so what, what's announced to us in the gospel is that there is a God. He's the only God. There's none like him. He is holy and righteous, infinite, all-powerful, all-wise. He is creator. I love the way Greg Gilbert puts it in his little book, What is the Gospel? He says, we are created, therefore we are owned. So as creatures, we owe this creator worship and love and adoration, honor and praise. And this holy God who has made us in his image for fellowship with him is actually angry with us in his righteousness and his holiness because we all, man now, are sinners. We all have disobeyed God. We all have dishonored God. We all have turned away from God. Um, I was talking about so wonderfully from Romans chapter 1. We all have been darkened in our own minds. And we are hostile toward God uh, as sinners. God is not only holy and righteous, but he's also God of love. And so God sent his son, Jesus Christ, his only son, who took upon himself our flesh, our likeness, and lived a perfectly righteous life before God to satisfy the holy requirements of God, and who died an agonizing death, suffering the wrath of God to pay the penalty for our sins on Calvary's cross so that the, the wrath of God would be assuaged, turned away, satisfied. He was buried and resurrected three days later. He was ascended into heaven and he's coming again. And Christ in his righteousness supplies all the righteousness that sinners will ever need. And his death satisfies the demands of the gospel and demands of God against sinners. So that now for response, everyone who repents of sin and trusts in Christ have Jesus' righteousness credited to their accounts and has their sin nailed to the cross with Christ so that they bear it no more. They are forgiven. They are cleansed. A miracle happens. They are made new creatures. And, and through Christ, they are, they are joined together with Christ. And all of the benefits of Christ become theirs through faith. Including the promise of everlasting life. And everlasting fellowship with God. And, and the joy of, of, of basking in his love and his glory for all eternity. That's the happy news. And, and so the appeal we all would make, the appeal that God is making through us to you, if you have not yet trusted Christ, is that you would hear this message, understand it, trust yourself to Christ, call upon his name, for everyone who calls upon his name shall be saved. And that's our hope for you. That's our... That's our loving hope for you, and I pray that you would not leave this day without discovering more of what it means to trust in Jesus, to repent of your sins, and to follow him in the obedience of faith. And so be saved. That's being fluent in the gospel. Wasn't that beautiful? That presentation was only, what, two minutes long, maybe three minutes long, but he covered the whole breadth of Scripture, incredible theology, and brings people to a place of decision. 
that's what we need to be able to do. We need to have this sense of the gospel. So with whomever we're engaged, whoever we're talking to, the Spirit of God can say, go further, share more, bring them to myself. And we can do that as God's ambassadors, as those who understand Christ. And so he gave us four basic categories. The first one is this idea of God, God, creator and the owner and the lover of our lives, infinitely holy and just, and infinitely offended by our willful rebellion against him. That's the biblical God. And then not only do we have this this person called God, but we also have man, for we were created by God in his image. But because of our rebellion, we are infinitely lost and under condemnation, the righteous wrath and judgment of God. And yet, infinite condemnation, and yet we are infinitely loved by this God. So this God sent for our benefit the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, God's love incarnate, God himself, He lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died, paying for the debt of our rebellion on the cross and now opening up the way to embrace God by faith. And so this is the message. A high view of God, a careful view of depravity, a clear view of Jesus should bring us to a clear response to this message. The challenge, though, is not everybody has a high view of God, and they communicate a low view of God. Not everybody has a clear view of humanity and our depravity, and so they they don't communicate that well. And not everybody has a full understanding of who Jesus claims to be in the Scriptures and what he's done on our behalf. So the call for response is, believe and receive, and you're going to heaven. Woo! Is that the response that the Bible calls for? It is this response that most preachers will ask of people. No, the proper response from the Bible is one of repentance and faith. Repentance is simply turning from sin and self back to God. That's a part we often forget. You see, I stole something from God in my rebellion. He's the owner. And I stole my life. You've got to give it back. And so that's part of this process. It is repentance, is giving back God my life, which I stole from him in the rebellion. And I can only do this through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who not only loved me and gave himself to redeem me, but he ultimately paid the penalty so that I can come back to God. And rather than God judging me for stealing his property, he forgives me, he embraces me, and he welcomes his son home. The proper response is one of repentance, turning from sin and self back to God, and one of faith. And faith is not a one-time act, but it is the beginning of a life of faith, a faithful, obedient life before God, my Creator. You see, confusion about God, confusion about man, confusion about Jesus leads to a confused response. There's a whole lot of people today who believe they're right with God, but are not. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But it's being right in these areas and calling for the right response that will ultimately change a life. So I want to give you um, 
Actually, let me just give you this quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, I have to keep throwing Lewis quotes in here. That's just what this is. Uh, so he says this. He said, if there really is an infinitely glorious God, and the Bible says there is, does it really make sense for the universe to revolve around us rather than him? No. So how can we come say, thank you for the goodies, thank you for the ticket, I'm going to live my own life, and away I go? That doesn't make any sense at all. And yet that's often the way the gospel is put forward. It's called cheap grace. We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. But I want to give you an opportunity to go deeper in the gospel, grow in your understanding of the gospel so you can become fluent in the gospel. Uh, beginning this fall, uh, opposite the Iwana, uh, two hours on Sunday evening from 5 to 7, we're going to offer a course that will go all year, and it's called the Gospel Project. The Gospel Project. It is a three-year, ultimately, chronological walk from Genesis to Revelation, understanding how the entire Bible reveals God's plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. And what it will help you do is identify and understand up to 99 essential theological truths of the Christian faith as they are found throughout the Bible. And each session will point to the gospel of Jesus Christ as the source of life, life transformation in the foundation for spiritual growth. And it will also compel us to live on mission every single day. We're going to start this journey uh, this fall. I'm just putting it out to you to let you know that it's coming. But if we're to be fluent both in lip and life with the gospel, we need to know what we're talking about. And so that will be offered. So... As we talk about being fluent in the gospel, it begins with being gracious. But secondly, we also need to understand, Jesus goes on to say this, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye and do not even notice the log that happens to be in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, hey, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's actually a log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And then he makes the statement, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. So the first thing Jesus tells us is this, we are to be gracious because the gospel is a message of God's generous grace to us. But the second thing Jesus, I think, is hitting on here as we talk about mission in the gospel is that we need to be discerning. We need to be discerning because it is a message that very few truly understand and embrace. Let me say that one more time. It is a message that very few truly understand and embrace. So we are to be discerning about ourselves. It's easy to be self-deceived. We are to be discerning about those inside the community and discerning towards those outside the community of believers as to where they are in relationship to God. I think it's too easy to just think well of everyone. You know, this, this, we just want to believe the best, don't we? We know the realities that lie beyond. One is horrific, the other is incredible, and we just like to assume that, you know, people are over here and going there. Have you ever heard an old saying? Never assume because it makes uh, you and me. Assumptions are okay when it's talking about something like dinner or, or something not, not ultimately consequential. But don't ever make assumptions about somebody's destiny. That is too important to just assume they're okay. 
In fact, I, I found this to be hard, but it's true. Over many years of being a pastor, I have made assumptions about people coming into the life of the churches that I've pastored. You know, they're coming from a good church somewhere, they're coming in the doors, they have a lovely family, everything looks good. And after a while, when they're in, I realize they've got no clue as to who Jesus is. They really don't know. They're good at church, but they don't know God. And I've been so, so... Um, saddened over the years to make assumptions that people are okay with God when they're not. So now I take the other side of the issue. You say, Pastor Bill, that's very negative. I would rather be wrong in, in being negative than wrong in thinking the best. And so I assume people are lost until they can prove gloriously saved by life and lip. I just have to. Because it's too important to just, oh, they're okay. Yeah, I think they're good. They go to church. They have a nice family. Like, that's how you get in. That's not how you get in. It's a bit like saying, well, they come to church. Well, good. Coming to church doesn't make anybody a Christian. It's like standing in the garage and believing you're a car. You know, that kind of a thing. It doesn't work like that. It's by embracing the person of Jesus Christ through repentance and faith that one gets into a right relationship with the living God. And we should never make assumptions that people are good. Let me show you why. Jesus is now going to go on and talk, and we'll actually cover these in depth over the next few weeks, but he's actually going to go on and talk about various responses to himself and the gospel. And so he begins with this, this statement in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He said this, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter in it are many, is the word. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, eternal life. And those who find it are few, is the word that's used there, few. One road is very well-traveled, wide and popular, and it is the way of selfishness, self and selfishness. It's all about my life, and I will do what I want to do, and I'll do it any way I want. It's living like the world. And, you know, I just, I, I, I need to be, I'm actually going to tackle this next week, but I, I just want to say this today. You know, a lot of people grow up in the church, they say the right words, they get baptized, but the moment they get the opportunity, they run headlong into the world, and we assume they're okay because they made some statement, they prayed a prayer, they were baptized, they're saved, right? Very likely, no. Do not put your confidence in something that was done in the past when we're told that faith in Christ is an active present tense. It should be there and active, and their life should reflect it. And if they're living just like the world, don't make the assumption they're good. That's a bad assumption. A bad assumption. So there is this path called the easy path, the path of the world. It is to live just like the world. The other road is uncommon, less used, and it's narrow. It is the hard and challenging path of selflessness, self-sacrifice. Jesus made it so clear in, in Luke chapter 9. He goes, and he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves. Take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life must lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world down the selfless path 
and lose and forfeit his own soul. So Jesus is saying there is a very easy path that most all the world is on. Very few, he says, actually have embraced him and are following him. So we look at these people and they're living in license. They're, they're living in, in hedonism. They're living the way of the world. It's my, my life. I'll do whatever I want. But he doesn't stop there. He now turns his attention not just to the hedonists of the licentious people, but he now focuses on the legalist and the moralist. The problem of moralism. Notice what he says here. Let me get here. He says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. John 6, 29 says that is to believe in the Son. On that day, the day of judgment, many, there's the word again, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, those Four words nobody ever wants to hear, but many will. I never knew you, is what he is going to say. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So now he's putting the onus on those who are the moralists, the legalists, if you will, those who grew up in church and those who are obeying all the statutes and doing all the right things. Somebody said this, the very question that they're asking excludes them from salvation. And the question they're asking is simply this. You know, Lord, Lord, um, they're saying, um, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the question. Because there is no way you can stand before God and talk about what you have done. The people Jesus describes here are living by their works, not relationship with him not realizing that the very spirit that they used to cast out demons and to prophesy in his name were not, was not theirs, but his spirit. When you stand before God and you're born again, you will talk about Jesus. Let me say that again. When you stand before God and you are truly born again, you're going to talk about Jesus and what he has done on the cross, not bragging about what you've done for him. That's the moralist. That's the legalist. Look how good I am. Somebody has said this. Those who take this path have to repent of their sins. Those who take this path have to repent of their good deeds. Because both are just as damnable. I want to put a book in your hands that's going to change the way you understand the gospel and maybe even change your destiny. And it's one that I would like to make required reading here at Grace before somebody comes through our 101. And this is a book written by none other than Tim Keller called The Prodigal God, Recovering the Heart of the Christian Faith. It is about the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15. And he's going to show you how the son who lived in open sin and the brother who stayed at home both had the same problem. Neither was connected to the father. They only wanted what he had, the goods. I want to encourage you that most people are in this path. Many are in this path. And the sad part is, Jesus tells us that there are prophets out there, false prophets, who are affirming people in these choices. He says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing and inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. In other words, what they teach is going to show up in their life as corruption and in the lives of their followers as ultimate corruption. Because it is not going to be good, healthy fruit that's being born out in your life 
glorifying God the Father and, and growing in righteousness, it's going to be diseased fruit. It's all about me. It's about my life. It's about actualizing my dreams and that God's going to help me. That's corruptible fruit. And so Jesus is putting the onus on not just assuming people are good to go. Most aren't. A vast majority aren't. Be discerning. Be discerning. You know, many people are going to build very impressive lives. But according to Jesus, those impressive lives are nothing but built on sand. The day will come where the word of God will crash into it and nothing will be left. Jesus makes it clear as he finishes his story, this message, that it's truly those who are founded on the rock, which is Jesus Christ himself, and are taking and doing the word of God in their lives. Those are the true followers of Jesus Christ. Do not be deceived. Be discerning. So the question is, where are you? Where are you? Are you counting on coming to church, being a good person, putting money in the offering plate, and doing all these good things, so now God owes you? Or are you just kind of living like the world? You know, every once in a while I'll tip my hat to God, every once in a while I'll do a little something here. Where are you? And I guess the other question is, where are your family? Where's your parents? Where's your kids? Where's your spouse? Where's your next door neighbor? Where's your coworker? Where's your classmate? This is ultimately important because without a clear understanding of the message of the gospel of grace and a reception of Jesus Christ, the default destination for all humanity is hell. And we have been given the responsibility of the message of reconciliation. We are his ambassadors. I want to encourage you that over the next few weeks, we're going to talk in depth about these things that Jesus, I just ran through, that Jesus mentioned. But uh, do come back, do listen, do engage. Maybe you need to hear it, or maybe you know others that need to hear it. I don't know. I do know that you have others who need to hear it. But who are you going to focus on to share this message? Who are you going to focus on to share this message? A daughter, a son, a brother, a, a sister, a parent, a neighbor, a cousin. They need to hear. They need to respond because the default destination is not with God in eternity. So I also want to give you another opportunity, not only in our, our preaching series, but I also want to give you another opportunity that on se September 18th, uh, we've also kind of highlighted this, is National Back to Church Sunday. And I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you to be praying for them, be looking to connect them, be bringing them that day. We will kick off with this special uh, message on Back to Church Sunday, and then it will give way to five weeks called I Love Sundays. I love Sundays. In, in the plan of God, the day of worship was always the best day of the week. The chance to gather with the people of God, to exalt the person of God, has always been the best day of the week. And we're going to resurrect that thinking and that idea as we go through that series together. So we're talking about becoming fluent in the gospel. And I'm going to hit just two other quick things, then we're done. Becoming fluent in the gospel. 
it begins, it begins with being gracious because the gospel is a message of grace. It, it also includes being discerning because it is a message that very few truly understand and have embraced by repenting of their lives in sin and embracing Jesus Christ in ongoing obedience. Thirdly, Jesus said this, I want you to ask. We need to be prayerful. I want you to ask. I want you to seek. I want you to knock. Those are all commands. I want you to do these things. And if you will ask and seek and knock, the door will be open to you. He is encouraging us to pray, to be prayerful, because the gospel is a supernatural message that requires the work of God. Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open to them. The work of the gospel in a life is a supernatural endeavor. It is beyond merely our ability to live it and winsomely speak the gospel to others. New birth is a work of the Holy Spirit in a life, and we can't do that. But we can ask, but we can seek, but we can knock for the salvation of others. Right after I had come to Jesus Christ, many years ago now, uh, I, I went to church, I got married. In the first year of marriage, Bambi and I had a small apartment in South Paris, Maine. I remember distinctly sitting on the living room floor in this small apartment, and I can remember praying for my mother and father. I was the first to come to Christ in my family. And I remember pouring out my heart for both my mom and my dad. And I remember saying, oh, Father, they don't know you and I so want them to know you. I don't want them to die and be apart from you. I want to spend forever with them. And I wept, and I wept. And the Lord put my mother on my heart even more so. And I kept praying for my mom. And this is as if it happened yesterday. It's one of the more significant moments that I've had in my relationship with God. It was as if he spoke to me. I didn't hear an audible voice. But in my heart of hearts, what I heard God say to me was, I've got her. She's mine. Now, in that moment, I, I took that as from the Lord, and I was so excited. It was two years later. While I was away at Bible school, Bambi's folks invited my folks to church. And at that meeting on that night, my mother went forward under the preaching of the Word of God and gave her heart and life to Jesus Christ. I still remember the phone call that came at 1 in the morning as I was away at Bible school. Our pastor said, hey, Bill, I thought you'd just want to know. <laughs> Your mom gave her heart to Christ tonight. And Bambi and I stayed up till 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning just rejoicing and praising the Lord. I went to school the next day. I shared the story in chapel, and I had dozens of students come to me saying, thank you for telling us that God is still at work. My mom and dad don't know the Lord. Thank you for telling us that God is still at work. It is through prayer asking the Father, beseeching the Father, asking, you keep asking is the tense of that verb, um, seeking and continually seeking, and knocking and continually knocking, and then the response will come. We need to be praying for these people in our lives. Who is it that God is putting on your heart that you need to be prayerful over? We are to be generous or gracious. We are to be discerning. We are to be prayerful. Last week, Dennis gave the challenge that we are to be praying for family and friends because, quite frankly, nothing happens without prayer. 
And Dennis gave us this challenge that we're going to start to have a list for salvation of those who need a relationship with Jesus Christ. You only need to put a first name or you can use a code name. It doesn't really matter. God knows who they are. But give us the names. Somebody emailed in this week a list of names. They want them prayed for because they have a burden for them to know Jesus. Uh, give them who is your person. Who is it that the Lord is putting on your heart? We want to pray for them. We want to join you in praying for them. I have a number of people that I'm going to put into this prayer group because I want you to be praying for Heather and David and Kara and Julie and Jim and Judy. They need Jesus. And I can't make them get saved. But I can pray for them and I can be fluent in the gospel as I have opportunity. So lastly, let me just say this. Not only do we need to be prayerful, but Jesus ends with these words. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We are to be gracious. We are to be discerning. We are to be prayerful. But we also need to be compassionate because we, are all, we, we all respond to simple human kindness. We all respond to simple human kindness. How do I treat them, Pastor Bill? What do I say to them? Well, how do you want to be treated? How do you want to be spoken to? That's how you're supposed to speak to them. You see, whatever you would like for them to do to you, you do for them. And you know what? Most of us want to be loved. <laughs> Most of us want to be cared about. Most of us want to think we're valuable. That's exactly how we're to treat others. This statement by Jesus to conclude this portion is powerful. It tells us exactly how we are to respond in every situation. Exactly how you want to be responded to. That's the answer. I love C.S. Lewis. I'm going to finish with him. Good old C.S. said this. He said, I remember Christian teachers telling me a long time ago that I must hate a bad man's actions, but not hate the bad man. Or, as they would say, hate the sin, but not the sinner. I used to think this is a silly, straw-splitting distinction. How could you hate what a man did but not hate the man? But years later, it occurred to me that I, there was one man to whom I had been doing this all my life, namely myself. However, however much I dislike my own cowardice or conceit or greed, I went on loving myself. There had never been the slightest difficulty about doing that. Interesting, isn't it? Treat people as you would want to be treated. You will discover that simple human compassion mixed with prayer, along with being gracious and generous, will open up doors for the gospel in ways that you would never have dreamed of. May we be fluent in the gospel. Our family needs it. Our neighbors need it. Our community needs it. Maybe you need it. If you would like to talk further about what it means to have a true relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm available anytime, all the time, anytime. I would love to talk with you. Let's pray together, and we will be done this morning. Father, thank you so much for Jesus' words.